In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and God, Amen. I am very happy to be with you tonight in the revival of St. Mary, and I thank His Grace Bishop Peter for inviting me and giving me this opportunity to be with you, and I thank also the beloved fathers, Abuna Mark, Abuna Elisha, and Abuna Paul, for actually allowing me this a beautiful opportunity. And I wish you all a very blessed and happy uh, fast of our mother, Saint Mary, the mother of God. Uh, in Wednesday, Theotokia, we say the Father looked from heaven and did not find anyone like you. He sent his son and was incarnate of you. Definitely, no one is like St. Mary, from Adam to the end of the ages. That's why God chose St. Mary to be his mother and to be the second heaven, to be the throne that carried the Son of God in her womb for nine months. And after this, she nurtured him and raised him up and was witnessing every single step in his life. And we may wonder how St. Mary attained this high level of spirituality. And actually, all of us, we are called to attain this high level of spirituality. As the Lord said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And thank God that the Lord in the Sermon on the Mountain, He gave us the steps. If we walk in these steps one by one, we actually will grow in our spiritual life. Uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, they are eight. And tonight, through the grace of God, we will see how the Beatitudes actually shape our journey with Christ. The first observation that the first one and the last one has the same reward. First one is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And the last one, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for there is the, is the kingdom of heaven. Why the first one and the last one have the same reward, the kingdom of heaven? Because, as I told you, it's a journey. So, the first one, you started the journey toward the kingdom of heaven. And the last one, you accomplished this journey toward the kingdom of heaven. So it is a journey. So the first beatitude, it says, Blessed the poor in spirit, for they started the journey toward the kingdom of heaven. And the last one, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs they accomplished, they reached the kingdom of heaven. Let's take them one by one. 
The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Poor from poverty. So they are not rich in spirit. They are not rich in their virtues. They are not rich in their spiritual life. Actually, we expect the Lord to say exactly the opposite. To say, blessed are those who are rich in spirit, who are rich in virtues, who are rich in their spiritual life. But why he said, blessed are the poor in spirit? Of course, the Lord doesn't want us to continue in this poverty. But he wants to tell us that the first step to start your journey toward the kingdom of heaven is to discover your poverty. If you feel that you are rich in spirit, then you will not start this journey. But blessed is the person who discovers his poverty in spirit, who discovers that he has no righteous acts. He has nothing to be proud of. This person actually will start the journey toward heaven. Think about the prodigal son. As long as he felt he is rich, he did not return to his father's house. But when he discovered his poverty, and he said, how many hired servants actually they have left over from the food, and I am dying here from hunger, let me go to my father's house. So once he discovered his poverty, he started his journey toward the father's house. In Revelation chapter 3, the Lord sent a message to the church of Laodicea. And he told them in verse 17, uh, Revelation 3 verse 17, Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are rich, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. If this church discovered their poverty, they would have returned to God. But as long as they say, I am rich, have become wealthy, they don't know the road toward the kingdom of heaven. In his ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ was able to help those who discovered their poverty, the harlot, the tax collector, the thief. But those who trusted in their own righteousness, like the religious leaders of Israel, the Lord actually could not help them. Not because the Lord is unable to help them, but because of they believed they are rich, although they were poor, naked, wretched, and blind. That's why the Lord told them in John chapter 9, if you were blind, if you discovered your blindness, if you admit your poverty and blindness, you would not have no sin, because you're going to repent. But because you say, we see, I am rich, I see, 
your sin remains. That is the first step. When the person discovers his poverty, what would he feel? He feels sorrowful. Definitely he feels sorry that he is poor. Peter, on Covenant Thursday, thought he is rich and said to the Lord Jesus Christ, if all the disciples denied you, I will not. I am rich, I am better than them. Then, on the morning of Friday, he denied the Lord Jesus Christ and he discovered his poverty. Then actually, he wept bitterly. He discovered that he is poor. He is not rich as he believed. So, discovering or admitting, acknowledging my poverty in spirit leads to the sorrow. That's why the second one, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But there are two types of mourning. Or sorrow. We read this in Second Corinthians chapter seven. Saint Paul rebuked them, the church in Corinth, because there was a man who lived in sexual immorality, and they did not take a stand with him. So the Lord, Saint Paul, in Second Corinthians chapter seven. He told them after they were sorrow, were sorrowful and repented, and this man also repented. So in verse 10 he told them, Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So this sorrow is important in our repentance. Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted. We have Peter and we have Judas. Peter actually repented and was sorrowful but in a godly manner. So this led to salvation. But Jude actually repented, but not in a godly way. He was sorrowful. He said, I regret that I delivered you innocent blood. He is sorrowful. And he wanted actually to return the money back. But he was not sorrowful according to the will of God. He was sorrowful according to the world. There was no hope. There was no confidence that God will accept him and will forgive him. That's why his sorrow led to death. He killed himself. So St. Paul differentiated between the two types of sorrow. Godly sorrow produces Repentance leading to salvation not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. And what is the difference? How do I know? 
One is initiated by the Holy Spirit and one is initiated by the ego. The sorrow from the Holy Spirit usually has hope with it. But the sorrow from the ego, from one's self, has despair. How can I commit this sin? So, the second step, we need actually to develop this godly sorrow, to have this remorse, to regret what we did. But this sorrow should be full of hope and confidence that God will accept me. That's why he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Also the person who discovers his poverty, he will not be arrogant. He will not be prideful. He will not be self-righteous like the scribes and Pharisees. But he will be humble and meek like the sinful woman in the house of uh, Simeon the Pharisee, like Zacchaeus. All these are examples of people who developed sorrow and discovered their poverty, so they became humble. And this is the third step. That's why the Lord said, Blessed are the meek, the humble, the lowly in heart, for they shall inherit the earth. For they shall inherit the earth. Humble people, they are loved by everyone. They have place in each one's heart, as if they inherited the earth. But people in general, they don't like the arrogant or the prideful. They keep distance from them. But with the humble, they love them. They like to be around them. And that's what the Lord told us. Learn from me, because I am humble and of lowly heart. So discovering my poverty leads to sorrow and also leads to be meek and humble. We can see how the scribes and Pharisees, they were not humble. When the Lord actually rebuked them, and when he said the parable of the wicked vine dressers, instead of repenting, they start to take counsel how to lay their hands on him and to kill him. The humble person accepts advice accept correction, accept criticism. But the proud, the arrogant, they don't accept this. And I want to remind you that in the letter of St. James, as well as in the first letter of Peter, this verse was repeated. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
Humbleness actually is the root toward every single virtue. Humbleness, which is self-denial, when we deny ourselves, we can grow in every virtue. But as long as we are not willing to take this road, the road of humbleness, and to deny ourselves, we cannot grow, we cannot walk in the road toward the kingdom of heaven. That's why the Lord said, if you want to be my disciple, what's the first requirement? Deny yourself and follow me carrying your cross. Deny yourself. So, what will make it easy for you to deny yourself is when you discover your poverty. Many people only struggle with a certain sin for a long time. And they pray and they fight the good fight. So a spirit of despair attacks them. Why God doesn't help me? Why God doesn't want me to overcome this sin in my life? And the answer to this, sometimes God allows us to fight against certain sin for a long time in our life to be humble. Because repenting from any sin is much easier than repenting from pride and self-righteousness. Even St. Paul, when God actually, St. Paul reached a very, very high level in spirituality and visions, and he ascended to the third heaven, he said, lest I become exalted because of the abundance of vision, the messenger of Satan attacked me. And God, when St. Paul prayed three times, God did not heal him. Why? He doesn't want him to be exalted. He wants him to be humble. And he told him, my grace is sufficient. When you are humble, you will have access to my grace because God gives the grace to the humble. But if you are exalted, God resisted the proud. St. Paul replied and said, I rejoice in my infirmities that the grace of God may come upon me. When I am weak, I am strong in God. So, discovering your poverty or admitting and acknowledging your poverty lead to godly sorrow and lead also to uh, humbleness and meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit it. Also, there are two types of righteousness. Righteousness from the word right, doing the right thing, right acts, righteous acts. There is one type comes from my work. So I did this and I did this and I did this, so I feel righteous. Like the Pharisee who entered the temple to pray and said to the Lord, I fast two days in the week. I give the tithe of all my money and I'm not like the ungodly people. I'm not like this tax collector who are standing at the door of 
the temple. So he felt he was righteous. Righteous because of his actions, because of his deeds. Definitely he did not acknowledge his poverty. That's one type of righteousness. The other type of righteousness is the righteousness that we receive it from God when we abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the righteousness of Christ. When we abide in Him, His righteousness became my righteousness. And this is exactly what happened in baptism. When a person is baptized, he puts on Christ. He actually became righteous, but not his own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. That's why we dress them in white clothes, uh, representing the righteousness. And we have this uh, red ribbon, like a cross, to say it is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when these white garments are defiled by our sins, we have the repentance and confession to wash our garments again. And communion, those who washed their garment in the blood of the Lamb, because the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ forgive all our sins. So, when a person discovers his poverty and he develops godly sorrow and he is humble, he actually will be seeking which righteousness? The righteousness of Christ. And this leads us to the fourth step. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not their own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. For they shall be filled. That's exactly what happened to the tax collector when he stood at the door of the temple and in humbleness he could not lift his head up but he beat his chest and said God have mercy upon me a sinner. By saying a sinner he admitted his poverty and he was hungry for the righteousness of God not the righteousness of the Pharisee from his own works, but the righteousness that's given as gift, as grace from God. Then the Lord said, he went his home justified, righteous. God granted him this righteousness. So, a person admits his poverty, develop Godly sorrow, develop a humble and a meek heart, he will be hungry and thirsty for this righteousness. And the promise from God, he shall be filled. This actually happened every time we stand in prayer with humbleness and meekness. It happens every time when we confess and repent and we hear the voice full of joy your sins are forgiven happens every time when we 
partake of his body and blood. And I want you to notice, Abuna says, the holies for the holy. Now you are righteous. You are righteous because God forgive you your sins. After the fraction, Abuna praises the absolutions. And the absolutions actually help people who are repenting forgive their sins. And now Abuna announced to them, the holies are for the holy, for the righteous. But the congregation who admit their poverty and they know that they are not righteous because of their own acts, but they are righteous because of the grace of God. So how they respond to this? They say, one is the all-holy Father, one is the all-holy Son, one is the all-holy Spirit. Only one who is righteous, only one who is holy. And if we are righteous, it's not because of our actions or our deeds. Because he granted us this righteousness as a gift, as a grace. Definitely, when the prodigal son returned to his father's house, and the father put the garment on him, garment of righteousness on him, I'm sure the son was overwhelmed by the love of the father. He was overwhelmed by the mercies of the father. The father did not rebuke him. The father did not blame him. Although he, he, in a way, he returned for the wrong reason. He returned because he was hungry. If he wasn't hungry, maybe he wouldn't return. But he was overwhelmed with the love and the mercies of God. So a person who is hungry for the righteousness of God and he is filled, he will be overwhelmed by the mercies and the love of God. He will know that his righteousness is because of the abundance of the love of God, of the richness of his mercy. So when my heart is full of the mercies of God and I experience the mercies of God in my life, what will happen? I myself turn to be merciful. Those who receive mercies, they will turn to be merciful. And it will be like a cycle. The more I feel the mercies of God on me, the more I become merciful. And when I become merciful, I obtain more mercy, and, and, and so on. St. Paul, in his letters, he did not forget that he was poor in spirit. He said, I was a blasphemer, persecutor of the church of God. I persecuted the church of God. But because of the abundance of his love, because of the greatness of his mercy, he had compassion on me, that in me, he may set an example for those who will actually repent and return to God. This actually takes us to the fifth beatitude. Blessed are the merciful, 
for they shall obtain mercy. What makes a person merciful? It's not a decision, but rather the experience of the mercies of God upon me turn my stony heart into a heart of flesh and I'll be merciful on others. And the more I experience this mercy, the more I'll be merciful. Even as it was said about the Lord Jesus Christ, as he was suffered, he is able to help those who are suffering. Uh, This is actually the concept of the wounded healer. Uh, When actually I am wounded and I experience the healing of God, then actually I can help others. When I, I experience the mercies of God, I will be merciful to others. Also, receiving the righteousness of God cleanse my heart, purify my heart. Or more, more, accurate, more accurately, God will create a new heart in me. It's like heart transplant. This old heart will be removed completely. The heart that's full of lust, full of envy, full of hatred, full of uh, judgment. God will remove it completely. And he will plant in me, create in me a clean heart of God and renew your spirit within me. So God will give me a pure heart. And the heart is the eye of the spirit. If my eye is blind, I cannot see. In the same way, when the heart is blind, cannot see God. But when the heart is purified, then the person can see God through his internal eye, through the inside. So this takes us to the sixth step. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So as I told you, it is a journey. If you want to reach to the purity of heart, you need to start from first step. Acknowledge your poverty. Develop godly sorrow. Develop loneliness in heart and meekness. Be hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God. Then you will be merciful to others. You will show mercy on others and your heart will be purified. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Also, the repentance is an act of reconciliation. St. Paul summarized his ministry who are ambassadors of Christ. We call you to reconcile with God. So that is our ministry, reconcile with God. And by the way, that's why the priests are ordained after the reconciliation prayer. Because their ministry is a ministry of reconciliation. The bishops are ordained after the book of Acts, the Braxis, because their mission is continuation of the ministry of the apostles. 
So a person who is repentant, after who repent, after he was an enemy to God, he is reconciled. And reconciled on three levels. He reconciled with God. So now there is no enmity between him and God. Also, he is reconciled with others because his heart doesn't have hatred, doesn't have envy anymore. And he is reconciled with himself. He accepts himself because of the righteousness of Christ. He sees himself through the eyes of God. Sometimes when we see ourselves in our own eyes, we feel that we are miserable. That's why we start to suffer from anxiety and depression and low self-esteem because we are miserable in our own eyes. But when we see ourselves in the eyes of Christ, who gave us from his righteousness, so we will say like the bride of the Song of Solomon, I am black and beautiful. Yes, I am not uh, beautiful in my own self, but my beauty is from my groom, Christ, who gives me the, his righteousness. So, uh, this leads us to the seventh step, which is, blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. Again, as when the person experiences the mercies of God, he will be merciful. The same way, when a person is reconciled with God, reconciled with himself, reconciled with others, he will be a peacemaker. Because now he is the son of the king of peace. She is the daughter of the king of peace. They will make peace everywhere they go. That's why this is the true uh, sonship to God when we become peacemakers. He's the king of peace. So when we become peacemakers, then we are his children, like father, like son. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. When actually you walk in this journey that started by admitting and acknowledging your poverty and uh, developing godly sorrow and developing a lowly heart and becoming meek and you are hungry and thirsty for righteousness and also you become merciful with pure heart and a peacemaker. Satan actually will not be happy with this. Satan actually, during the whole time, will be attacking you. And at the end, actually, you will be persecuted for this righteousness. Satan wants us to believe in our own righteousness, not to in the righteousness of Christ. Because once we receive the righteousness of Christ and we abide in Him, this is the road to the kingdom of heaven. 
so he will persecute us. But the person who went through this journey, this righteousness is very precious to him. Very precious to him. That's why even if he is persecuted, even if he is killed for this righteousness, in order to forsake this righteousness, he will not actually yield. He rather choose to be killed than to compromise this gift of righteousness. Because this gift of righteousness is very, very precious. St. Peter says, you are not uh, saved by gold or silver or precious stone, but you are purchased by the blood of the Lamb of God. All the treasures of the world cannot get you this righteousness. All the money of the world, all the kingdom of the world cannot give you this righteousness. That's why the person will accept to be persecuted for this righteousness and he will never ever compromise. And this actually leads us to the end of the journey in the eighth beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. And when they endure and accept this persecution, there is the kingdom of heaven. So this is actually our journey. Our journey that started by discovering our poverty, then developing godly sorrow, then developing a humble heart, then becoming hungry and thirsty for the righteousness of God. Then I'll be merciful because I experience the mercy of God and my heart is cleansed and purified and also I am becoming a peacemaker, asking people to be reconciled with God and to be reconciled with one another and be reconciled with themselves. Then, even if I am persecuted for this righteousness, I will not compromise. The one after this is not another beatitude, but the Lord, after He spoke about this journey, the eighth beatitude, so He wants to encourage us by saying to us, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you. We are called to be reviled and be persecuted. Why? Because Satan wants us to compromise the righteousness of God and say all kinds of evil against you, falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. If you think about St. Mary, the mother of God, actually, she started this journey by her humbleness. When she went to visit Elizabeth, uh, and she said her magnificent, she said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. 
Saint Mary was truly a humble person. She discovered her own poverty. She discovered that she needs a savior. That's why she said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit has rejoiced in God my savior. Why she rejoiced? Because she knows that all the righteousness of men is nothing. It's nothing. She needs a savior like all of us. That's why her spirit rejoiced. So if Saint Mary, Saint Mary, the mother of God, the one who is exalted above the cherubim and seraphim, felt she needs the salvation and the righteousness of God, how much more we? Saint Mary, because she started her journey with humbleness, that's why she became the greatest and the first. That's what the Lord told us. If you want to be the greatest, if you want to be the first, be the servant of all and the last of all. St. Mary left this. She went and served Elizabeth. One last thought. If you think about her life, she never took a decision for herself. When she was little, three years, her parents presented her to the temple. It was not her decision. When she became 13 or 14, they gave her to Joseph the carpenter to take care of her. This was not her decision. Then she chose one thing, to not to marry and not to know uh, a man. And definitely, uh, she never ever expected to be pregnant. And now Archangel Gabriel tells her, you will have a child. Yes, of course, as we all know, uh, she did not lose her virginity. And this child was born in a miraculous way, without seed of man. But she became pregnant and have uh, a child, although the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ did not lose her virginity. But again, she experienced what a mother experienced. And she never expected this. When actually uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was born and Herod wanted to kill all the children of Bethlehem, she made a, a trip to Egypt and stayed three years and a half in Egypt, and this was not her decision. When she returned, she did not stay in Bethlehem because Archelaus became the king. And again, uh, uh, Joseph decided to go back to Galilee, to Nazareth of Galilee, to be away from uh, Bethlehem. And uh, even on the cross, the Lord did not ask her with whom you want to live, but he told her, Mary, this is your son, John the Beloved. John, this is your mother. Can you imagine a person lived all his life without making one single choice for himself. If this reflect anything, reflect her humbleness, her self-denial. She truly denied herself. She truly was meek and humble. That's why God exalted her 
not only above all mankind, but even above the cherubim and the seraphim. And her life is an inspiration to all of us. If you want to walk in her footsteps, if you want to go into this journey to the kingdom of heaven, follow her steps, follow how she was humble in complete self-denial and through her prayers and intercession, may God grant all of us the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. Glory be to God forever and ever. Amen.